Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode nine of Revolutionary Space Podcast. I'm your host, Ru Chen. I'm your co-host, Gerard Lane. So today we're going to be talking about a very complicated issue that exists both, well, worldwide, worldwide actually, but we're going to be talking about it through the framework of the United States and specifically New York. We're going to be talking about the issue of poverty, and also we're going to offer some solutions on how to get out of poverty. So, Gerard, please define poverty just just so we're all on the same page. So, poverty are those who make less than the federal government's official poverty threshold. What's that threshold? Um, so, that threshold currently for a family of four is $24,000. U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars. So, two right. parents that earn a total of $24,000 and have two children, a family of four, right. um, that would be considered the poverty level. Right. Um, I mean, that doesn't seem like it's a very, well, speaking from our point of view, it doesn't seem like a very hard threshold to hit. So why is there such a massive problem of poverty? So, I mean, one example is, you know, if two parents work at a minimum wage job, right, you fall right into that category. Right. Or if you have one parent that's a school teacher um, and the other parent doesn't work, then you're right there at that threshold as well. Right. I guess it is easy to consider the fact that one parent might be sick or has exactly. an illness or has some sort of, you know, criminal history that they can't get right. hired in a, at another job. Or trying to do the whole one parent work and one parent stay at home, which right. historically was the case right. a few decades ago. Right. Um, so seniors living on fixed incomes would also fall into this category. So Got folks it. living in Social Security, mm-hmm. right, they're also living below the poverty line. And also we're talking about children who have been, I guess, they're considered adults or they're considered emancipated minors right. who aren't making enough money to really, you know, qualify for Correct. To be above the poverty line. Correct. Correct. Um, Correct. Another scary stat is twenty one percent of all children in America are in poverty. Wow. So one out of five kids in wow. America. Wow. That's insane. And this is for all of America. Mm-hmm. How does that relate to New York specifically? So New York, you know, also has its own drastically high poverty line. Right. Um, and has these, you know, these high density neighborhoods mm-hmm. um, that that is, is just exacerbates the issue because mm-hmm. you have a more expensive city mm-hmm. <laughs> where you have the same kind of poverty issue. Mm-hmm. So by density, you mean that density of like people with low income, not density of population, correct? Both. Okay. So density of population, and that population is dense, full of folks who also don't earn a lot of income. So those neighborhoods tend to have um, higher crime rates, uh, poor performing schools. So which neighborhoods are we talking about necessarily? Uh, these typically are in city neighborhoods, uh-huh. but also in a lot of rural areas, um, okay. who often have higher unemployment issues. Mm-hmm. Um, also kind of fall into this category. Rural areas outside of New York City as well. Outside of cities in general. Right. So we're talking about inner city. So poverty is an issue mostly in inner cities and rural areas. Right. And so suburban areas are actually doing quite well. Suburban, yes. But rural, no. Mm-hmm. So rural, like living out in the country, right? You're not you're not making a solid living farming anymore like mm-hmm. you used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually a big issue, and industries aren't moving in that direction. Right. A lot of industries are moving into cities. Right. So then why does it make sense that cities also have higher, um, I guess, populations of low-income population? Uh, availability of housing is one of them. 
Okay. Um, a lot of immigrants that move in from different countries tend to flock to the urban cores. Mm-hmm. Because they seek opportunity. Because they seek opportunities, potentially jobs. Potentially. But there's a disparity between the opportunities that they think are offered versus the Versus the actual there. jobs that are available for their skill set in particular. Mm-hmm. Got it. Then maybe you don't have the skill set to match that job market potentially. Got it. And there's also like a phenomenon, I think, in New York and also a lot of densely populated cities where some neighborhoods are really, really wealthy and other neighborhoods are just like suffering. I know. Like Upper East Side here. Versus East Harlem. Yeah. I mean, which is like the most one of one of the most extreme examples, right? And they're next to each other too. So like, as soon as you cross that like one street, what like hundred, a hundred, like a hundred, hundred five, something like that. Yeah, as soon as you cross that like threshold, you're just kind of like in a totally different. It feels like a totally different city, right? It's a completely different area. Yeah. Right. And so like, for New York City, let's talk about some facts. So since the 1980s. New York City's poverty rate has generally hovered between 19 and 21 percent mm-hmm. and remains higher than the national rate. So this goes back to what we said about inner cities having higher poverty rates than suburban areas. Right. Um, and it's, this rate is especially high for children and seniors. Right. Um, and so in 2011 to 2015, uh, studies actually show that nearly 1.7 million New Yorkers were living in poverty. Right. And so I'm curious, why does this data only go to 2015? Oh, so New York used to have a, a poverty... Uh, division that actually measured and created reports and uh-huh. collected data. Uh, they actually stopped that division in 2016 or something. So like that. we don't know how the data extrapolates from 2015. Correct, to now. but I think one would one would make some good presumptions that the cost of living has gone up since 2016 in New York City, mm-hmm. um, and the wages probably have not dramatically mm-hmm. in New York City since then. Got it. So also a second point is that. In terms of poverty, why is it really an issue? Well, poverty actually leads to, like Gerard mentioned, higher violent crime rates, poor performing schools, fewer adults who are college educated, college educated or employed. Right. And there's also significant differences in who's living in these neighborhoods. So poor black and Hispanic New Yorkers and poor children are much more likely to live in high poverty neighborhoods than other poor New Yorkers. So we're seeing a racial disparity as well. Correct. Correct. Um, any comment on any of these? So we all know, you know, historical things that happened in America where certain communities did not allow uh, minorities living. Um, you know, the growth of suburbia is kind of part of that. Right. Um, those things are now illegal, so you can kind of sort of live wherever you want to live. Right. Uh, but America, in a lot of ways, is still very separate in its communities. Right, just you go because to, that's the history. Yeah, you go to any survive. city in America today, and very often there's a section of town with a whole lot of white folks, mm-hmm. and another set of section of town that has a whole lot of black folks. I mean, Detroit, too, that's a famous, you know. Every city in America. You go yeah. to any one of them, Nashville, Atlanta, Houston, D.C., name one, I'll tell you. Right. <laughs> um, so... So there's a historical component, um, I think, kind of moving forward, you know, we're talking about poverty today, is, you know, finding ways to kind of break this cycle mm-hmm. um, to change the trajectory of the way that things have been going. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about higher crime rates specifically, it means that um, police are monitoring these areas more harshly than in other areas. That is also true. Um, and they may, you know, send people to jail for doing the, for. Not right. even participating in right. crime just I because think, they believe that these people. I think what would be very interesting as 
different states are starting to either decriminalize or legalize marijuana use, mm-hmm. how drastically that's going to change the criminal justice system. Right. Um, right. Especially low-level uh, crimes. Just like petty crimes. And yeah. Stuff like uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that changes. I mean, in New York, in New York, we decriminalized marijuana a couple years ago. A couple years ago, yeah. Um, do we have any data so far about like how that has changed the incarceration? I don't know about that directly. I will say the crime rate has continued to go down, and it's actually was already rarely low. Okay. In New York City, it was very, very low. As an average of all the neighborhoods? Compared to all other major cities on okay. a per-person basis, okay. um, our crime rate is incredibly low. Which is funny, because we used to have, in New York City, some of you might know this, we used to have this program called Stop and Frisk, right. where um, we cracked down. Basically, police had quotas to frisk um, anyone that they believe was suspicious. Correct. And they would. There's actually a map on the New York Times. And it was that typically performed in Black and Latino communities. Yes. Typically. So in on the map at New York Times, you can look for stop and frisk map. You can see actually at each intersection on the map of New York how many times people were stopped at that intersection. Yes. And you can see that there were a lot more stoppages in these higher crime neighborhoods. But that's not actually um, in, I guess, in, in sort of a, like within the ratio of the crime that's actually happening in those neighborhoods. Correct. There were a lot more stoppages than there were actual crimes happening. Correct. Correct. Um, Correct. And so that's one thing. So, like, these neighborhoods, because they are um, higher poverty neighborhoods, they're viewed as, you know, I guess, like, problem areas. Right. Um, and, like, this perception of them just leads to more and more problems. Right. And you think about it, that those folks who get arrested... It's hard to get a job. Yes, of course. Right? So then you're kind of back into this cycle of... of like, eternal cycle of poverty. Right. So now you can't get a job. How do you provide for yourself? So you go join a gang or Or your kids, right? Or you got to do something else illegal. Right. You know, or or you don't and you just live in poverty. Right. So it's it's a very, very difficult situation. Right. So on the larger scale, we're talking about people who the system doesn't benefit, who need to exit the system and then are persecuted by that system. Correct. And there's no... There's no real path to reintegrate them back into society. Well, let's talk about solutions for a hot second. Let's so um, reintegration into the system. So we're talking about... So Gerard and I actually brainstormed before this episode, and we're, we came up with three different ways in which, like, the ind- at the individual level, you can actually, you know, try to get yourself out of poverty. Right. Um, the first is that you should live... We should promote, actually, as developers, mixed-income neighborhoods. So as an individual, you should be finding a mixed-income community to involve right. yourself in. Right. Whether that means living there or just going to um, you know, events held by... Like, right. And it gives great exposure for everybody. So for you know, a family in poverty, they get exposure to folks that uh, have business and entrepreneurial spirit, um, can show you different opportunities that you maybe didn't know or were aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find a friend who could become a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, folks on the other income strata can, you know, meet different folks from different economic backgrounds, right. meet people from different cultural backgrounds, and right. you can learn from those folks as well. Right. And those folks, like, they, some of them actually don't even understand why poverty is a problem because right. they came out of wealth. So they're like, you know, like, why don't you just go work? And it's, the right. answer is really not that easy. It is not that simple. <laughs> it's, not it's not simple not at simple. all. Um, and so a lot more, we're seeing a lot more in New York how people are pushing for developers at the higher 
um, level are pushing for mixed income residential projects. Right. So you can have mixed affordable housing and market rate housing in the same development project. Correct. Whereas before, our attitude towards affordable housing was just that you would have, like, the more units, the better, right? So let's right. just, like, condense all of our affordable housing units into one building, like right. 300 units of just, like, very low right. area median income units. Right. Um, or have public housing, which you see in... Right. There's so many areas, neighborhoods in New York that right. are just, you know, and separated by what, these huge structures. What the government has learned is sticking all these folks of lower income all in high densities together yes. has ended up having very bad results. It's a bad idea. It's a very bad result. So the government doesn't build them anymore. Right. Uh, but moving forward, now we're trying to figure out how to break the cycle. Right. Um, so our next one. Next one is education. Oh, goodness. This is my favorite. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, folks should learn and learn and continue to learn and train and continue to train so they can be the most productive um, in society. Okay. Um, and it starts with education. Right. Um, and, you know, some people say, oh, well, I don't have the skill sets for these new jobs. You know, you actually don't even need a college diploma to or college degree to work in technology. Right. Um, you could actually... Which is a growing sector. Which is a swiftly growing sector, right? Right. You look at most of the biggest companies in the S&P 500, um, you know, your Amazons, your Googles, your Apples, mm-hmm. your Facebook. Book, right? These are all technology companies. Right. Um, and young folks could learn how to maneuver technology and create a new company right. to go work at a company. Right. Um, so I think just getting educated, getting trained to be able to participate is an easy exit out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're talking about not necessarily relying on the public school system, which we see like they're actually shutting down some which public is struggling, schools yes. in New York City, but yes. actually um, going to trade schools to learn something very specific. Correct. That area. Correct. Got agreed. It. Agreed. Um, and also... The the last point that we're going to make is about personal finance. Yes. So how is that helpful for someone who's trying to get out of poverty? So one of the big issues is that even for those who work, you know, as some call the working poor. Yes. Um, some would say for those who work check to check. The issue is if you lose that job, mm-hmm. um, that you don't have a safety net. Right. Um, that you didn't learn how to manage money so that when you have a job, you're blowing all of it. Right. And you're putting it into things that don't appreciate um, you're not preserving it. You're not creating a savings account right. and having money for a rainy day. Right. So the other part of it is that people need to learn how to use and manage the money they have mm-hmm. so they're protected in the good times and the bad times, right. um, as well as how to manage credit. Right. And be able to use credit to be able to you know purchase a car, or purchase a home, and being able to use those tools that are available. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people in my generation don't even actually understand why a credit score is important. I know. They don't use it. So why is a credit score important, Rod? To So what I tell folks is leverage or debt is like a sword. Um, if you use it right, it's actually incredibly powerful. Most people aren't trained how to use it, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can get hurt by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you could pick it up and cut yourself if you don't know how to use it right, getting a bad credit card and not paying it off, right? right. You could get hurt by credit. Right. Um, but if you learn how to use it and you use it properly, it's incredible what you can get done. For example, most people don't buy a house with all cash. Of course. You get a mortgage. Right. That's debt. Mm-hmm. That's being able to use this as a method to get 
something. That's a house, higher value than what that's you That's a higher value than it would take you forever to save right. that kind of cash to right. buy a house, which is why nobody, even the rich people, nobody, very few people purchase it all cash. cash yeah. Most people get a mortgage. Right. So that tool, being able to use that tool um, is incredibly useful. Also, cars is another example right. that you could use that tool to get something. Right. Um, Most people feel like, oh, I just have to save up and save up. But it's actually not just about saving up. It's also about using the tools that are out there, financial tools specifically, to help yourself. Correct. Um, We could probably do another podcast at a later date about time, value, and money. Right. Which is the other part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, by not just brief explanation, time, value, money, is a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So. You know, by getting debt, you're able to have more cash on hand mm-hmm. um, to do something. To, you know, spend it on your life. <laughs> yes. Your or life. <laughs> or, you know, on something you need, something you want. Right. Whatever. Something for your loved one, something right. for emergency, whatever. Um, by not learning personal finance, you may not be able to learn how to use this tool. And you could potentially be tossed back into the poverty line. Right. Because you have no safety net. So the importance of learning personal finance is learning how to use a personal budget. Yes. Um, learning how much you should be saving from each paycheck and yes. also using your credit score and using the correct, I guess, credit cards for the goals that you want. Yes. Yes. Cool. All right. So next episode, how about we talk about the time value of money? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. All right. See you guys next week then. See you guys.